Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Welcome back to another episode of Beck Lover and the Comeback Team. Ah, oh, that gun keeps going off every single episode. I want, I want it out of the sound effects. I want it out of the sound effects. In any event, I have an amazing special guest tonight. Not only is she my friend, she's family. And we're going to be talking about life, the ups, the downs. We got Mike the Shrink, a.k.a. Dr. Ola in the house. I don't know. He's looking kind of sharp tonight. I don't know where the hell he's going, but he won't be here for long. So we're going to try to use his knowledge uh, the best we can. Welcome to another episode of The Comeback Team. Welcome, my guest. Welcome. Thank you. Valerie Nezai, how you doing? Good. How are you? We're going to call you the way you want to be called. Val. Yes. I have a cousin named Valerie, too. She prefer- It's actually, yeah, I think it's Valeria, but she prefers Val. So I guess you got something in common. Yes. How are you feeling? I feel great. I'm excited to be here. I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me here. We want to thank you for coming because, like we say in every show, the greatest thing you can give anybody is your time. And I guess the older you get, Dr. Mike, you realize how precious time is and really how stupid you were with your time when you were younger. I feel like an idiot when it comes. When I look backwards, I go, man, what the hell was I thinking back then? In any event, my common phrase on the show, because events happen, um, we're winding up, you know, finishing another year coming to an end another decade mm-hmm. i think we're kind of the same age even though you probably look a lot better than i do <laughs> i'm not aging so well i'm aging like a raisin in the sun Stop. more like a plum compared to a raisin right <laughs> dr mike right like raisin i'm a plum <laughs> drying okay, in the man. sun it's okay this is gonna be my year like the singer gashi this is gonna be my year so we're winding we're winding down the year christmas kind of just finished new year's is on the horizon and a new decade a lot's happened in the last 20 years of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in your life, Doc, and, and I'm sure in your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to open the floor up to you. And we kind of just want to get to know you. What's your story? You know? uh, where are you from? Where did life begin for Valerie? And how did you become as strong as you are today? Because I look at you, and the reason you're on this show is not just because I can't find guests. Believe me, I can find plenty of guests. Your story captivates me. It inspires me. And I feel that people need to know your story because there's people that might walk down the, the path that you've walked down and they might not know where to look for help. They might not know how to feel or to think. And sometimes uh, people are not as strong as we might be. And there might be times we were weak. I mean, we all go into cocoons sometimes when things happen. Mm-hmm. So I feel that you've been to quite a few different things in your life and you're still standing. You're very functional. You're very productive, and you're very vocal. So I look at you as a very strong, powerful woman. And I think not only do you give power to other women, I think you also give power to, to men because it inspires regardless of what, what you are, whether you're a man or a woman. I think your story is, a, is, a, is an awesome one. Thank you. And I want to thank you because it's not easy to open up and share, and, and that can be a very difficult so we'll open up the floor. Kind of just give the people that are, are listening to this, God willing, and watching this, kind of just a little bit of a background, you know, kind of where your life started, a little bit of your family background, nothing too crazy. You know, you don't have to, you know, go too personal, but just, you know, just your life. How did it start? Sure. Uh, well, I'm a first-generation American-Albanian woman. I grew up in a pretty male-preferred, gender-defined uh, culture, and um, my parents, like I said, they're immigrants. Um, we grew up in Westchester County, 
and uh, I grew up in Chappaqua, New York, uh, home to the Clintons. <laughs> and um, so you lived there most of your life. I lived there up until I got married. Chappaqua. Chappaqua. <coughs> now you say home to the Clintons, but literally <laughs> your home, your house, yeah, was literally the next door. You were the next door neighbor of the Clintons. Yeah. So that's a pretty high-profile neighbor to have. It's not like you were next to me and nobody knows me. You were next to people that the whole entire world knows. Right. Forget the country. Yeah. And they moved in right before I got married. So that was in 2001, I think, or 2000, uh, 2001. How did you guys become friends with them? Well, they're really nice. They, You know, when they moved in, they, like, they went and they introduced themselves to the neighbors. Every, like, Christmas they send something. My dad sends them something. Um, but because my dad was more into, like, helping the Albanian people and politics and things like that, you know, I think for someone like him who came here with nothing to now, you know, have the Clintons move in next door to him, it's a pretty big accomplishment if you think about it. It's the best lobby we could have. Yeah, so, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if it's just, like, him now and <laughs> my sister. He's not moving. Like, he loves Regardless of what side, and this is what the viewers might not understand in the audience, the Albanians, regardless if they classify themselves as a Democrat or a Republican, mm -hmm. have a special place in their heart for the Clintons, regardless yes. of all the stuff that's going on in the world, regardless of all the different jokes and memes and conspiracy theories, the Albanians yeah. have a special respect for the Clintons because Bill Clinton was in power mm -hmm. when our nation was under attack. I lost 30 people in that war mm -hmm. in one single day, about mm -hmm. 28 people in one day. My first yeah, cousin survived. That, that's another story that we're not here to talk about me today. But I lost a lot of family in that conflict. I would have lost a lot more if it wasn't for the actions of Bill Clinton. So regardless of where I might stand politically, whether I've stayed a Democrat or a Republican, you know, and maybe one day we'll get into that. But we do hold a special place in our hearts because of mm -hmm. what they did for us in our time yes, of need. Absolutely. There's definitely been all kinds of crazy stuff going on out there. People blaming the Clintons and this Epstein crap and all this other stuff. I don't really want to get into that. Neither do I. But what I want to know is, you know them. You've met them. You hung out with them. What are they like as ed every day just my next door neighbor? Like When you're going to pick up your newspaper, do you run into Bill? I mean, how so what was life like living next door to the Clintons? I mean, you can have your own TV show. Uh... <laughs> Well, you know, I was younger then, and I was a little bit more of an attitude-y <laughs> teenager, and it was hard to get in and out of our street. So we live on, like, a cul-de-sac, and my, you know, my dad's house is on the right, and then you, at, they're kind of at the end of the cul-de-sac. But at the entryway, you would have to stop. Your car gets searched. Um, show Every single time. If I went to Walgreens, uh, well, it wasn't Walgreens at the time, but, it, like, Rite Aid or whatever at that time, um, and I forgot something, and I left within 10 minutes of each other. I'd have to, every time, come and open the trunk, show the ID, say where I live. And, like, I was like, it's ridiculous, you know? Like, but, you know, I understand now, like, they needed to do that. I mean, you're talking about... So you literally had Secret Service. Yes. Because they're still watched by the service. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's still Secret Service there. They're just not at the bottom of the street anymore. But, like, you would have sometimes uh, demonstrations, and then people would be on my dad's property. Protesting. You know, protesting, yeah. At their house. Well, at our house. Yeah, because, because our they're house, right next door, yeah. Well, yes, they're literally, like, you could, from my parents' balcony and bedroom, you could see their house, and, you know, Oscar's their security guy, and, you know, my dad has his phone number. He, they, he, you know, they've picked him up to take him to the White House uh, for dinner. Right now, he was in Kosovo. My dad knew he was going, so he reached out to the Secret Service, and, you know, they made it so that he can meet up with them, and he has pictures. I mean, my sister posted them on, you know, Facebook. 
I didn't I didn't bring them. So I mean, how old were you when they first moved? Do you remember? Uh, well, I was almost 23 when I got married, so I was like 21, 22 when they moved in, and I remember the re- news reporters coming up to interview us, and you know, people were asking my uh, was it Joe Tory asking my brother how he feels about Chelsea, you know, because he's a guy and she's a girl, and she now she's, and I mean, it was like fun, funny stuff like that. You, you used know? to see her too. I never saw Chelsea, um, but like they go out and walk their, they go out and walk their dogs, and you know, like we were out. Like, there's a picture of my daughter and my mom. I didn't, I couldn't find it back. I couldn't find it. <laughs> um, and they stopped okay. to take a picture. I with know them. already. I've seen them come to, f- unfortunately, some family events. Yeah. That you had. Yeah. But there's one picture of uh, William. With your daughter, <laughs> and I've been to his hometown. By the way, I've driven town. to his hometown oh, in, in Hope, Arkansas. Yeah, I was on my way to Texas actually with Al the Powell. We almost got killed in Texas, by the way, but I was born there, <laughs> so I know how to handle myself. Almost got shot by a sheriff, but they're nice people. To see where they came from, yeah, and where they made it—that's an amazing story because yeah. there's nothing there. You ever been to Arkansas? No. Huh? I reckon. <laughs> I, I mean, I drove to where they literally where he came from. Not now. I'm talking about. Little Rock, uh-huh. Hope. There's nothing there. Yeah, it looks like Albania. Maybe that's why he likes us. <laughs> so, in any event, from what you can tell, the normal people, you've had a normal relationship with them, and all this other stuff, you don't really pay attention to it. No, they're very down to earth. I mean, I've seen Bill in Walgreens. I don't go up to him and be like, "Hey, Bill, I'm you know Val from you next know, door." <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do that. You know, he talks to everybody. Chapaqua knows him well. Like he goes into Starbucks. He, everybody's got pictures with him. They're very friendly and within the community they're awesome people i, re- I like them a lot dr yeah. mike you didn't that's know my cousin lives next door to the <laughs> no, clinton's that's, huh? uh, yeah that's pretty interesting Dude, don't mess with me but i push one button you're fucking <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> let me push that button bro i'm not talking about the record button right? i'm talking about the delete don't fuck with me <laughs> okay um so thank you for because i just think that's interesting to viewers so yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing that. that's not why yes. i have you here by the way it's just a fun fact, I, right? I know it is, but that's it's like right. a Snapple. <laughs> it's like a Snapple fun fact. Yeah, those little facts on the inside of them. Yeah, I live next door to yeah. some old lady. She hates my guts, <laughs> and I do try to help her. I try to shovel her snow once in a while. She can't stand me, and I'm like her secret service, right? Like I would, I take two for her, you know. Mm. So you grow up next to the Clintons. Eventually, you meet this devilishly handsome guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's sexy. He's my cousin, so it runs in the family, right? And uh, you get married, you start. Now, w- talk to us a little bit about education. High right. school, college? Yeah, I, w- I graduated from Horace Greeley High School. So I went to school there from uh, second grade to through high school. Um, there was five of us. I have three sisters older than me. Um, they're five, seven, eight years older than me. And then it was me and my brother. So we're two, two and a half years apart. So it was four girls, one boy. He was the baby. He was the king of the castle. And That's not easy to have. No. Nope. Four, four <laughs> sisters? Yeah. It's not easy to be the boy either. Sometimes. It's not. You know, it's fun at the beginning, but as you get older and you're an adult um, and and you're basically told you could do, be whatever you want, you can't do any wrong. You know, you need boundaries as a kid. I agree. And so that affected him a lot. But um, yeah, graduated high school, went to Pace University right there. Uh, 10 minutes. Alumni. Uh, Yeah. So I I went to the one in the city, though. I was yeah. outnumbered. I was outnumbered by the Russians. They want to kill me. <laughs> I love you guys, though. We're friends now. We made peace in my third year. Aleska, Oleg. I had an amazing uh, time at Pace. So he's alumni. Yeah, so I graduated there with a major in psychology, and um, then I worked the field for five years. Um, 
I, I always knew I wanted to help people. Like, that's a passion of mine to help people help themselves. Like, I have a deep passion for that. Uh, but I decided that that was not the environment in which I wanted to do it. Um, and then I think once I had a family as well, my priorities shifted. Um, I got married when I was a couple days before my 23rd birthday. Met my husband, hanging out with my cousins in the Bronx. Uh, like my days off, I would go hang out with them while they had school. I graduated. The beautiful Bronx. I don't know why the hell I used to go there too, but it was beautiful. Yeah, I loved it. I graduated high school a year early. I just was done with it. I was in such a rush to get on with life. Life. Like I didn't, I just, I just was bored. Like in high school, I didn't like, I, as a kid growing up there, it's tough. I hate It's a very school. affluent community and very. <clears throat> stiff. Very stiff. And we grew up, like, not encouraged to be social, not encouraged to have friends, not encouraged to do any of that. So I learned how to be really quiet. So I'm, I was telling my daughter in the car on the way here that I'm the complete opposite of where I was as a kid. You know, you're, you know, there's people that are average. They live average lives. They just go about their lives. And then there's people that fly really low, uh, you know, under the radar. That was me. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to, like, anything. And that's hard. But I, I mean, I've worked through that. Obviously, I'm here. I'm doing this show. Yeah, I didn't even know you existed to my my cousin. <laughs> never seen you, never heard yeah. of her. Well, I knew who your father was because he was very active in the community. Well, but so now imagine like he, 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 t so you, so you grow up being told don't be uh, quote unquote like American, um, but you can't hang out with the Albanians. So you kind of You're don't in purgatory. have an identity. You don't know where you, you can't belong. can't go this way or that exactly. way. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so that's kind of like where I started off. And you go I, too far to the left on your front lawn, you get shot by the Secret Service. I mean, you really were boxed <laughs> in. <laughs> I was. Like, you were boxed in in every direction. Yeah. And you can't make mistakes. Mistakes are bad. And that's like, it's, that's not the way, that's not the way you grow. That's not the way that, you know, I, there's a lot of things that I appreciate about the way we were raised, you know, respect, things like that. Uh, but self-love, some of those things that really matter, you know, weren't present. Um, and so that's a lot so of... So you finish school, you marry my cousin, you start having children. Yep. But during this time, now you've been through what I will call, I guess, the three nightmares. Mm -hmm. That's what I call them. To lose a parent, mm -hmm. to lose a sibling, and God forbid your child to be sick or to pass away. Right. Those are the four, I would mm -hmm. call. You've been through three of those four. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're on this show. Because most people don't get past the first. You're still tick in here. You're still marching forward. You're still strong as hell. Mm -hmm. Publicly, at least. You're very strong. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you can talk about these things where most people just listen to you might just break down and cry. Talk to us a little bit about your first loss, kind of what you went through, how, you know. Well, we had several, you know, tragic losses in our family. You know, kids left without parents, dying young. Nobody lived past, well, I'd say, you know, 66. My mom was 66 when she passed last year. My brother was 30. Um, you know, I had lost my aunt, my dad's brother. Who my dad's brother had been stabbed and killed uh, by a few years prior to when she was killed. So there was two kids that had no parents. And she was like a mother to me. So that was like the first real haunting and then within two weeks of that my cousin passed away you know we are in, in uh in texas in the car accident and i have to say though when my brother passed away that really knocked me out <laughs> and that was it's going to be eight years this january and uh he and i you know he was my person it was unexpected out. just out of nowhere right very unexpected uh that's how you know i lost someone close to me too it's devastating yeah. you just don't know it just happens and you're like oh my god yeah 
And uh, and the thing that broke my heart for him is he had just so much to live for. See, like he continues to teach me to to this day, and that's where I find the power in his life. I mean, I feel blessed that he was my brother. Uh, he's a beautiful person, but he had drive. You know, he 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 busted through fear, and um, when I lost him, it was uh, I went I went into a hole. I went into a really deep hole, and I had three kids at the time. So 10 years ago, my son was born, right? Um, but I had my daughters before that. And uh, so when he passed away, and my son ended up in the hospital, like maybe a couple months after that, I was dealing with my son's medical fragilities and um, therapies, and then also the grief. It was like, I, I slept, I felt, I slept on the sofa for about 13 months after he passed. Because if I tried to go into my bedroom, which was about a handful of times, I literally would hallucinate. I would see things. I would I, I would wake up thinking, uh, seeing him next to me. Like, I mean, I, I went through some dark, crazy Doc? times. Yeah, this is um, <clears throat> normal grieving, you know. Uh, it, can, it can be, you know, normal grieving is a little different than depression because it comes in waves, um, you know, lasts up to a year or so. And, um, you know, characteristically, you know, under normal circumstances, when someone's depressed and they're hallucinating, you know, we call that major depression with psychotic features. But in normal grief, normal grieving, this is actually a normal phenomenon. It's very common to hear uh, the voice of a loved one, you know, perhaps to see them, you know, in a dream. We don't consider it psychosis. It's part of grieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They yeah. do funny things to you. So you know? those first 13 months... I went nowhere. You, you I would go to a funeral, but I wouldn't go like to a wedding. <coughs> I wouldn't want to be around anything fun. Yeah. Could you tolerate other people? Uh, yes. What but I meant by that is like when I kind of went to a similar situation. Mm-hmm. I same thing. Cocoon is what I call it. I, I completely dis. I was one of the most public people in our community. I completely disappeared. Yeah, isolated. I was in a cocoon, and. For the first year, year and a half, I mean, I was nowhere to be found. I was in the third floor of my house playing Xbox. Mm. When I look back at that, just that thought of that image is depressing to me. Mm-hmm. So I kind of understand what you're saying a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't that people bothered me. It's just I was numb. I was just in pain. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't even yeah, know how to explain I, it. I, I was know. in physical. I remember, like, I would do what I had to do for the kids. If it really, really, if it wasn't for the kids, I feel like I would have just... Lost your mind. Uh, I actually up. do think I lost my mind. Like, of, of all of us siblings, they were saying, you have crazy eyes. Because there was a lot of rumors around it and uh, some things. And, you know, we went to go see a medium. And, you know, <laughs> I do. Like, I, part of me, I could see how people could completely go, like, insane. Like, that's how bad it was. And everyone says I handled it the worst, and, and I think I did, um, and it was hard. I'll tell you, it was so hard, uh, but then there did come a time, you know, I'd say about three years afterwards, where I was like, I was in physical pain. I felt like I had, the like, an elephant on my chest. I couldn't catch a full breath. I, my body ached from anxiety, and they would go to school, and I would lay on the couch, and I could just lay there and not move. And um, started to drink some wine at night. Nothing, you know, nothing like I wasn't drunk all day or anything, but I couldn't sleep. I couldn't shut it off. And it wasn't because 
so much that he passed it was like the sadness for him it was like did he ever really realize who he was and like the impact and the love that people had for him and the love that people felt from him and his drive and his vision he he was he was a doer he was somebody that could contribute in big ways to society and had in such a short amount of time and it was just really heartbreaking um you know it was just heartbreaking on so many levels yeah so oh you got it but you you know you have to come to a point where you say to yourself do you want to live like this like he's gone you're here he doesn't want you to live like this, you know? Like, there comes a point, I think, there has to come a point where you say to yourself, well, what am I going to do Logic's with Logic's got to overcome emotion. Yeah, what am I going to do with my time? Logic's got to overcome emotion. Yeah. The emotion's very hard to turn off when you lose somebody. Doc, yeah. what's really blowing my mind away is I felt a lot of what she felt, exactly the way she's describing it. Did you have, um, you know, hallucinatory for no. that also? No, that's the only thing I didn't have. Now, what do you mean by that? No, clarify what do you mean? What do I mean? When you say you might have experienced some hallucinations. Well, I'm saying hallucinations because... Like you were seeing him? Like, I'd wake up, and then I would see, like, one night I w saw somebody talking over my head. It almost felt like somebody from heaven. <laughs> like, if I was, like, dying, and they were, like, talking about me. And then one night I saw him. Um, I woke up. It felt like, you know, when you wake up in a dream and you think you're awake? And I thought he was laying between me. I saw him. I felt his face and everything laying between me and my husband. So it's like I could literally feel him. And then I got pulled off the bed by some, you know, you can call it. I, I don't know if you can explain it psychologically. I mean, I feel like everything or if it's like a spiritual thing or what. But, you know, I, I felt like negativity was like pulling me off the bed. And I, and I was like couldn't scream. Um, and Did you see a black shadowy figure. I've had that since I was young, uh, you know, and I don't see it anymore. My department, Mike. I, I feel like that. <laughs> I feel like that's that negativity. That's like the fourth dimension, but that's yeah. something different. Our viewers ain't ready for that yet. Okay. We're gonna do that. We're we gonna can, do we an can episode. We talk on about that. that. I have a lot of experience it's with the that. The fourth dimension. You know, yeah. Freud wrote a book on dream analysis. Did it's it? Pretty interesting. Yeah. Dreams are a very interesting subject, and you can't talk about dreams without getting into psychology. Right. And you definitely can't talk about dreams without getting into spirituality. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of overlapping features there. Um, but so you were definitely seeing things then. Oh, yeah. You had to, you had, cause so you and I feel like I saw him, you know, him. Like, I remember after he passed, I woke up the next morning, the very next day after he passed. So I saw him when he passed in his apartment and being taken out in a, you know, in a body bag. And you saw that in real life. I saw that in real life. That wasn't I was working at the time in the city. I was going to call him to meet with me and my sister because we were working in the city at the time, weekends. I was working weekends because of my son. I had gone to part-time. And um, I and then we got the call, and I was in this, and we went to. He was living in the city at the time. New building called the Ohm. Um, I don't know if you know it, but one of those fancy buildings down in, you know, whatever down here i don't know the city too well <laughs> but manhattan. um manhattan and yeah they let us in and i and i and i screamed and i and i don't remember hearing myself scream but i remember being like my cousin grabbing me and saying stop screaming cuz they're going to kick us out and i i didn't even hear myself and i still like that's the image like those things are the images that i've had to replace with other thoughts it took me a long time to not live there anymore you know but 
I remember crying because the coroner's van was there and they were taking him and, and I was telling my husband and my uncle, like, we need to follow them. We need to make sure he's okay. Like it was such a shock. I couldn't breathe. I hyperventilated. I mean, no one could calm me down. It was, it was just what you're describing, you know, um, really just lines up with, uh, bereavement, you know, it does, it can have hallucinatory phenomenon can have those, those features, you know, you literally lose your mind. Yeah. Pain. Yeah. The shock of it. Yeah. So it happens. I was at that funeral. That's when I realized you guys knew the client. I actually remember Bill Clinton walking in mm-hmm. and the charisma on that guy. It was just unbelievable. You yeah. know, even in that condition, the way he lit the room up in a way. I'll never forget yeah. as long as I live. My so dad f- appreciated that too. <clears throat> that was, I had never met a president before. Right. guy's taller than me. I'm six foot two. <laughs> he wa- And I'm not paying attention. At the time, unfortunately, I used to have a bad habit of smoking. So, so I was outside smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. I was one of the first people on the line. And he comes in. I'm not, I'm sorry for your luck. Lo- <laughs> I'm just freaking Bill Clinton. I'm just shaking, but it's not the appropriate situation, right? Yeah. To say, hey, you know, I didn't even talk. I was like, thank you, sir. What are you going to say? We're in a funeral. A very tragic one, uh, uh, if yeah. that. So, but... We get through that. You, you, you bury your brother. Mm-hmm. How long does it take you to come back? Three years. It took me three years. Yeah. It's weird. Three years. See, that goes beyond bereavement, though. Once it passes a year, you know, you're kind of crossing into major depression. I mean, these are just, you know, labels. labels it took me a good three years, Val. Yeah, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Doc. How did you get out of it? I, I, I couldn't take the pain anymore. I couldn't take the pain anymore. Did you get help? Uh, yes, I did. So I went to go see a spiritual healer. And someone that comes from the psych field, um, I just didn't feel like that's where my heart was. I felt like I needed to, t- to, to go, you know, go speak to somebody who was a spiritual healer. And um, she really helped me work through that. She was also somewhat of a medium. And I think there were certain answers and things I was looking for. You could say it's fake. You could say whatever you want. But it's what helped me. So whether it's a placebo effect or not, it doesn't really matter. You know, um, it just helped me make peace with the situation and start not just looking at surviving, but but living, living again. You know, I felt I feel like I wasn't living. I was just, you know, you have to understand at the same time, my son was like in and out of the hospital. Which we kind of like, and I think we're not giving this situation the gravity it deserves. Mm-hmm. Is that even the right terminology? We didn't even cover that your son, kind of that issue was kind of before what happened to your brother. And yeah. I think it's important people understand that. And I want to point out. Because it wasn't just like you got jabbed. Like you were getting. Jab, jab, Full punch. No, no. Jab. You were getting <laughs> knockout punches by yeah. life. Yeah. And standing somehow. Because sometimes just surviving is winning, in my yeah. opinion. And I think you're proof of that. So let's kind of rewind a little bit right before your brother's uh, leaving us. Talk to us about your son. Yeah. So it was about two, two and a half, three years before my son was born in 2009. My brother passed in 2012 and um, he was born with a translocation chromosome disorder. Okay, um, None of us know what that means. And most people don't. Sure. I mean, I won't break get it into down it. in the simplest of terms. Um, he had a deletion on one chromosome and then a duplication of another chromosome on that chromosome. So he technically gained more information um, than his body was set up for, and he lost a very small amount of it, which gave him head-to-toe issues. So when he was born, and again, like I said, it was unexpected. We thought we were going in having a healthy boy. 
Although I had some sort of Now, feeling. the whole time you have no idea there's something wrong. No, like I'm being told everything's okay, but I'm feeling. I have now two healthy kids at this point. I had two healthy girls, Ava and Ella. And um, I... They they wanted to kill me during pregnancy. They were like ready to rip out my like the aliens. You know what I mean? But my son, I hardly felt to move the whole pregnancy, and I was extremely exhausted. Not like I, it was like I couldn't keep my eyes open. There was something you felt something different about I this. I felt one. something different. I barely felt him, and I remember telling the doctor and her saying, "Well, everything looks okay on our end." But there was a point that they kept me for like an hour to measure his neck bone and his nose bone. I remember the girls fell asleep on me, and I, everything's okay. Blood work, okay, they said the blood work's sl slightly off, but we give these results to women every day, and there's nothing to be concerned about. And I'm feeling like there's something, but okay, maybe there's nothing. I was also a little younger. I was 29, right, two healthy kids. And, um, you know, and then when he's born, I remember that day like yesterday. I had a, an emergency C-section. I had ruptured membranes, so basically the fluids were leaking, so you had to get the baby out. Um, this was my third C-section. I had an emergency C with the first one, too. I, lost the, I almost lost my life there. Um, and he, uh, he, came, he gets taken out, and the room goes, like, silent. Like, if you could even imagine, this room, like, has windows everywhere. It's a beautiful ER, and no one can see in, but you could see out. And they take him You're out. You're conscious at this point, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm conscious. And they take him out, and the whole room is quiet. And I'm like, well, what's wrong? You know, like, why isn't Do you hear the baby? No. Nothing. And then I said, you know, is everything okay? And they were like, yeah. Because I guess they didn't know what was wrong at the time. Um, and then all I see is, and then, and then I hear a faint cry, and I see them lifting him, you know, to take him to, you know, clean him up and stuff. And his arms and his legs are just hanging, and his cry is so faint. Because he's low tone. Um, he had a bleed in the brain. He's like right away he needs to go on a CPAP. So he's on oxygen, uh, not breathing. Okay. Three holes in the heart. Uh, he had um, a recessed jaw. He had um, hypospadias. He had low tone jaundice, uh, head to toe issues. Wow. Yeah. And then. And what's going through your mind at this point when you see him like I'm that? I'm scared. I start crying. Uh, my husband got emotional too. How can you not? Yeah, um, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, it was very. That was a very traumatic time for us. It really was. Especially because when I had, you know, one my second one, mm -hmm. they were giving us all this. They might have this. They might have that. The genetic uh, counseling, they scared the hell out of us. Mm -hmm. Okay, and ended up nothing being wrong. Mm -hmm. But just going through that, I can only imagine where you had no warnings, and then that happens. Yeah. I think that's got to be a lot worse. It is. Because you have no time to prepare for it. It's just boom. Yep. I don't know where yep. life hits you. Yeah. I, you know, I think about these things. I'm like, would it have been better if I had known? Would I have just been stressed the whole time? Um, you, you ever know, ask yourself that question? or And, and I feel maybe it's selfish. But like would I have I, done something about it? Well, like, you know how, like, you go back. No, not not for even for this, but oh. I guess it's kind of off subject, but. You know, you have these, like, when you're in these deep, dark moments in life, sometimes you ask yourself these weird questions. Mm -hmm. Like, when I lost who I consider my brother, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I wish he would have been sick, and he wouldn't have just died as fast, and we would have had time. And, like, and, and, and it's just sick. Mm -hmm. You ever do anything like that? Yeah. Not at that moment, but I, I have. I wish they would have had cancer, so they would have died slower, so I would have had a chance to make peace with, like. Yeah. Is that weird? You know, Doc, I don't know. Is that... Yeah, no, I, I, I 
I can understand why someone would think that. You know, the the mind has ways of because these sudden heart, hits right? are very devastating. They're the mind has ways of of helping you avoid pain. You know, maybe that's one of them. So getting back to this, this is. Well, I just want to park on that for one second yeah. because I think there's something very valuable in what w- you're bringing that up. I think you know I'm not a person that asks the question why ever, uh, but uh, there was a long period of time where I was saying, well, what's the point? You know, there's a point you become comfortable with death, even because you've lost so many people and you've been through the yeah, darkness. Yeah, you don't care anymore. So you're like, so what's the point? And I think the point is what you're doing here on this show, and it's telling people people's stories. And you're saying that you've had those questions, and I'm telling you, I've had that 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 thought too. You you know, if you had more time, like my mom, she was sick, she didn't die instantly, but my brother did. And is it better or is it worse? You you know, I knew my mom was wasn't going to live forever. She after her stroke, I knew she wasn't going to make it forever. But that that's what that's what the point is. It's like value your time today. You know, it's like what's done is done. But like maybe now we can get across the message to people. That it can change in a second. You do have time. If you have five days, if you have a year, if you have, if, if you have the time you have is now. Stop thinking you have the rest of your life to do this or to do that or see this person or tell this person you love them or make more time. Do it now. Or make peace with someone. Make peace with somebody. I don't hold grudges. I, I don't waste my time. I value my time greatly. And I know it's because of my experiences. So if there's anything that I stand for or I believe in, it's value your time. Use it with intention. Do not waste it because you don't know. You have no idea. Mm -mm. And so I I just wanted to park on that because if you could get that message across and I can get that message across, then maybe today somebody's going to do something they're afraid of or tomorrow they're afraid of or they're going to take those chances I mean talk to a family member they haven't talked to in a long time. Uh, maybe go ask for forgiveness for something wrong that they've done or d- do something better in their Push life. Push yourself. Look at what you're doing, right? Yeah, I need to get on a treadmill. <laughs> Listen. Bad. Get the words I need out of, you know, start making the plan, make it a priority. It's right. about priorities. Believe me, I know. I, I need to make it more of a priority for myself as well, you know. So I want to backtrack a little bit, and that was really powerful. Um. So this whole thing happens. Yeah. You eventually f- find out what's going on with your with, with your kids. You're living the nightmare of n- of any parent on earth at this point. Mm-hmm. What happens? Now this is before your brother dies. So this is like a r- your first really big hit, right? Like I mean, as far as life's concerned, it's not my first big hit. And there's it's one of them. It's one of them. There's some things I really can't address on here yet. We get it. Um, but you know, I've seen. Lots of people go through some very dark things. I've experienced people uh, trying to commit suicide that I love and I'm close to. Um, and those are very tragic, traumatic events. And this was my first personal big hit. That's what I'm saying. Like, say. you yeah, direct, me. like. Yeah. And even then, I felt hope. You know, it wasn't like when my brother passed. When I say, like, the worst thing that happened in my life was when my brother passed. It wasn't when my son was born with, you know, all these medical things. I knew we could do something about it. You know, death is final. But when you have a child where you can, um, you know, help out or, you know, advocate for and find the best service. I mean, we live in America. (laughs) You have some of the best care. And so I didn't feel like life was over. But it de- definitely shaped me and uh, changed me in a lot of ways. You know? 
what's that? Nikki? Yeah. Oh, that's Nikki in the hospital. Yeah. Obviously, this is not like right so, when he was born. So this was a hard part with him. You know, like I've probably called 911, I think, more times than most people just between my, my profession and when I worked in the psych field um, and between my mom and my son. Um, it sucks. But Can you kind of walk us through the first kind of year in a nutshell? Yeah. How you have to get used to this? Okay, so. What, what does it take to take care of Nikki? Yeah. What's a day like? Day like? I know, know people ask me that every day is so here's the thing I, I like to talk from an objective point of view I, I, I look at things my m- the way I see things is from an objective perspective it's just the way like I make sense out of life and the thing with him is you don't he needs everything he's you know not just developmentally delayed but he's also had medical fragilities and his judgment is poor his receptive he's nonverbal um you know, he was in diapers uh, up until about a year and a half ago. He's 10 now, so like 8, and he still wears them at night and for traveling. It's very hard to be out with a child that size and changing them in a public bathroom. I mean, there's a lot of things that are very challenging. Even in the U.S., I imagine third world countries. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, or flying. Flying. Like, we flew to, you know, Albania. So, if I can hit that for a moment. Yeah. He is a pretty... Decent size, this kid. Oh, you, you bring him into the ladies' room. Seventy-five pounds. Yeah, you bring yeah. him into the ladies' room. Yes. Is it? What are the reactions? So, you know, I don't even look anymore. Do most people get it. Some people do. Some people don't. Some people will stare. You know, he still likes to passy when he's out. Um, I say, pick your battles. I mean, you know, the world is not designed for him, um, and so it's hard on that aspect because you worry about his safety and then you think about your other kids who are typically developing and the effect that it has on them because they notice sometimes the stairs and things like that um it's challenging everything every day is a challenge some days are better than the rest like I had a period of a couple weeks just recently where you know when you're trying to build a business and then you're also dealing with the mental emotional spiritual challenges you're facing personally with your child it's very hard to go out and communicate with others because you're just trying to keep your head above water, you know? And I don't see that as a, I don't see that as weakness. Like we talked about this, like the strong people have their valleys too. You have your peaks, you have your valleys, even the strong do. Right. I think what it is, is a matter of how quickly can you overcome that? And I think parents of children who are non-typically developing and caregivers of children who are non-typically developing, they face this more frequently on a frequent basis, especially if it's a child that's really hands-on. Like, I have friends who have children with autism, and, you know, they had to have to deal with these outbursts. There's no manual on it. There's no manual. Like, I've had to figure things out with him, you know, um, and his safety is always number one priority. You know, he, he, he just <coughs> doesn't have the best judgment. So, you know, he's had 13 hospitalizations in the last 10 years, Um Nine of them were within the first three years of his life. He had seven specialists. Uh, he was in the ICU for just 10 days. Uh, and I remember one neurosurgeon, Dr. Sherbani, at uh, Westchester Medical Center saying, we don't know much about what's going on with him, so we're just going to have to wait and see and take it as it comes. And I feel like he set the tone for everybody else. So whenever a doctor would try to say, well, this is this and that is that, and you know, they were like firm about it, I would say, how do you know? How do you know if he's not going to talk? How do you know if he's not? you don't know anything about him? 
So I've never. They've never seen anything like it, right? No, and they always. So got you were saying something about <laughs> the, the the scarcity of it, the the rarity of what he has. Yeah, he's the only documented case in the world with his specific translocation chromosome disorder, and uh, from my understanding, most children with translocation chromosome disorders don't make it much past birth. So technically, he's so a miracle. he's the only documented translocation chromosome disorder chromosome case. disorder case With and his specific he's already gone way past what life expectancy is there is no life expect there's no information no on no there's similarities to 10p deletions there's like you know the feeding issues like he has a g-tube still um you know what for almost a year we didn't use it he was dr he started drinking his formula and he got really sick and had to use it again so it's like you take these steps forward and then you then you go back, and then you just learn. Keep you got to do it again. So we're gonna try again, you know. Um, but the are there challenges that happen every single day? There are. That yeah. are common. Uh, yeah. I mean, some days he's a little bit moodier, right? He's a loving boy. He's a sweet. I've kid. seen a lot of videos on your Facebook, yeah. your Instagram. Yeah. He seems he to like to do things physically, like uh, I saw him on one video playing with a hammer. Oh, he loves to do the guy stuff. He loves, he loves when the my guy stuff, oh, yeah. when my husband's home, he wants to be outside with him. He wants to use the blower. He wants to forget about it. He takes his little hammers. He goes and bangs around the house. And, yeah. And he's very lo he's a very loving kid. But he gets into his moods because he's nonverbal. Sometimes it can be frustrating, you know. And, you know. Because you have to try to almost guess what he needs. Yeah. Right? You have to try to figure out. He can't tell me what he needs. I got to figure it out. He, he's kind of very good at create being creative. Like, he doesn't sign. People say, well, why doesn't he sign? Because he doesn't have the fine motor skills. He can't do it. Um, he's gotten very good at pointing and pulling and taking what he wants and showing you. Or he'll, he figures it out. He goes and takes his sneakers, and he'll point outside. Nobody taught him to do that, but he's smart. And I'll take his sneakers, and he'll come up to me, and he'll point outside. Like, I want to go out. Let's go out. You know? And I'm like, no, we're not going out today. And then he'll get mad, right? So sometimes he'll hit. Um, and that's, those are the days where it's hard. Like if I, I have him home now all, you know, for more than a week, you know, getting punched all day because <laughs> you're mad because I'm setting, you know, limits with you. It's, it's hard. That can be hard on a parent and people don't want to talk about that. And it's like, why talk about it? It's hard. Acknowledge that it's hard. Try to do your deep breathing. You know, I've started meditating. I've started doing things, but sometimes you just want to go to bed <laughs> because you just had a long like, I don't wake up. I haven't woken up on my own schedule in years. They're old enough now if they want to get up at whatever time, my my 14 and my almost 12-year-old to get themselves a bowl. You know, I don't sleep in, but I'd like to sleep till 7 or 8, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> three. But he sleeps with me or I sleep with him, you know. He's a, a lot of, like, I bathe him still. I dress him. I he, It's like a 10-year-old toddler, if you want to look at it that way, right? But he's bigger than a toddler, so it can be challenging on many levels. So you you, you, you dealt with this, you mm -hmm. got strong, you kind of got it figured out a little bit within three years, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you lose your brother. Yeah. That's where things take a turn for the worse. I didn't have it figured out at that point. I was still in the thick of it at that point. I, so I was just like, I was already like in the thick of it with him. So and you're, then you're I lose battling my brother. this and then yes. you get hit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have it figured out at this point. You're, no. you're going through a hard time dealing with that. Yeah. And then you get another punch. Yeah. Literally right in the, like, in the I think face of life. I think right before my brother passed away, I literally sat outside on the balcony, put my hands together, and blew them up to God. I said, And I said, God, I'm giving this to you. 
because I, I wasn't his parent. I was literally just his kid. Like, I just had to worry about taking care of him. Like, I couldn't just love him. Everything scared me about him, you know? And so, yeah, so then I lose my brother. Now, we kind of caught up, right? So, mm-hmm. took you about three years to get through that. Mm-hmm. You sought some help. You're a spiritual person, from what I can tell. Very. You believe in a higher power. Yes. Do you think you could have got through it without that belief? No. I believe in God very strongly. I'm not religious at all. I'm just not. Um, but yes, I have a deep, deep faith and deep belief in God. And I'm very spiritual. Cool. Doc? You know, um, <clears throat> if you, uh, I think look at the Greek translation of psychiatrist, uh, like, uh, Psyche is not mind. Psyche is actually soul. So a psychiatrist is actually a soul doctor. Pretty interesting. Yeah, we're going to do some exorcisms tonight on you? I don't know about that. <laughs> we can experiment. <laughs> well, so this is, what I, this is why you're on this show, right? Then you get through all this stuff, and then you go through another one of my worst nightmares, which I haven't had it happen yet to me, because I don't care how old mom is. She could be 200 years old. Mm-hmm. Mom is mom, Yeah. right? When you lose your mother, you lose your mother... I don't care how old she is. How that's a devastating loss. Yeah, it's been a year. Yeah, almost. L- yeah, it is. It's, it's a little it's been over a year. year. October made one year. So you you kind of get back up on your feet again, right? Mentally, physically, spiritually, and then you get hit again. <laughs> well, you know, you're we're missing something big, because just a year, not even a year before she got sick, we got this big diagnosis with with my son. And that landed us at Boston Children's for six weeks. That's the, be- um, that's one of the, the best in the, in, the, in, the, in the country, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, but we found out that he had this uh, Chiari 1 malformation. You're familiar with it? Of course. And Break uh, it down to us simple people, please. Uh, Chiari, well, so you have, um, you know, uh, you have an aqueduct in your brain. Uh, you have ventricles, right? Uh, so this type of... Chiari malformation is when a piece of the brain is going into the, sp- the, uh, the spinal canal, basically the canal that your spinal cord is in, and it can herniate through there. So you don't want to ever do a spinal tap or anything like that. Um, you know, there's a type 1 and a type 2. It's been a while yeah, since I, Yeah, it's okay. He had a type 1, and he had a also significant basilar invagination. So that's where this, t- you know, the top of the spine's pressing against your esophagus so it's also starting to restrict air flow um your uh esophagus yeah his swallow was affected not the airflow the swallow and then he had a syrinx in the spine so he had um a large amount of fluid in his spinal cord they they got that out with the shunt no um he he has a normal pressure hydrocephalus which is like he has enlarged ventricles but you know his pressure has always been normal so you don't do anything about it um ventricles are the normal empty spaces in your brain you have actually normal spaces that are there they're filled with fluid cerebral spinal fluid yeah Yeah. and that regulates the pressure do you think he's a doctor (laughs) (laughs) he definitely (laughs) is right he's not an imposter yes Doc, you always blow my mind away how much knowledge you st- how much knowledge you have out there, how much you store. It's impressive. Yeah. You too. Well, you know, the syrinx, I think, is a um, s- related to. S- did they mention syringomyelia? No. No. Okay. Mm-mm. That's a, si- a similar condition. So, a big health issue about a what about a year before? Yeah, it was like, so it was uh, about a year, a year and a half before. So we get this massive thing, and we're told you have to operate because. Now, up if until you this don't point, how, how many has, has he had any operations? 
Yes. How many? He did. He had to have. He had the two, two or three. I'm trying to think. Now each time your kid went under, what what does that feel like? Ugh. Seriously. It's freaking horrible. <laughs> it's so bad. Any parent that's seen their child have anesthesia? I took my kid. I took my kid to get the uh, adenoids out. Yeah. I, I went to the bathroom. I swear to God, I was crying like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> but I wasn't crying for me. For him. No. I was oh. crying about every parent that was like, they had to go through this a hundred times. Yeah. That's what, it wasn't me. I knew he was going to be okay. I started yeah. crying because I saw all the stuff I complain about. All the things I'm ungrateful for, because I am, because I feel human beings can be very ungrateful. Mm. I went to that bathroom and I wasn't crying because it was my kid on the table. I said, like, what about all those parents that are going through this all the time? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I said, shame on you if you ever complain about your life. Yeah. Well, and it's, a, it's a very hard feeling to see your kid go and their eyes roll back and you're like, damn, it's just, yeah. feel helpless. And the thing with him is he doesn't do well with anesthesia, and it's gotten worse as he's gotten older, so he uh, needs full intubation. I mean, like a 30-set. So when we found this out, um, and then he had to go from a CAT scan to an MRI to get more detailed imaging, um, you know, if, if we were told, first of all, just to back up, that he has to have the surgery because he'll, he'll, he'll become paralyzed, so he won't be able to walk if you leave that fluid, and then his swallow will get worse and all of that. So we really didn't have a choice. Um, so then we went to get more testing and like a 30 second test he had to be somewhat sedated because he doesn't sit still he will not you can't he won't stay still turned into like a 10 hour day because he had a reaction to the anesthesia and he had to be on oxygen and like it was like such a like thing you know and you know that happened and then we went to get an opinion first in the city and then i was like well I had to look at the facility. I had to look at the aftercare. It wasn't just the surgeons. How experienced were they with this? What was the best approach? And then when I went to, you know, I don't want to actually want to mention the facility because I'm not trying to knock anybody. But in the city, we went three times to meet with them. And each time we were getting a different approach and a different story. And and there was some arguing between them. And, you know, it was a big decision to go to Boston because we had two other girls. You know, we have two, two other kids. And the initial stay was going to be four weeks and then come home to rehab. And then go home. But what happened with him was surgery, everything, everything. They are phenomenal. And I've been to a lot of facilities. I've been to Columbia. I've been to Northern Westchester, Westchester Medical. I've been to CHOP in Philadelphia for second opinions. Um, and they were just phenomenal at Boston Children's. Um, what happened was he was on his face. So you truly recommend if it's something serious. Uh, yeah. Your kid's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Boston Hospital is where it's at. I think you have to look at what they're Specialties, specialties are. are, but I think as a facility and aftercare and just they're fa- they're phenomenal. I mean, you know, we don't have one single complaint at all, and that's you know rare for me. <laughs> Not that I look to complain, I just you know like I think the nurses should be my gone. poor cousin. <laughs> Listen, me and my husband. Have not, I've definitely been the one that's advocated here. You know, I'm not afraid to question things. It's not about, I'm not argumentative. But if if you're wavering and I'm questioning you and then you're getting, you know, I don't know, upset about that, like we should be able to have communication. We're talking about the care. You're not God. God's, you know, you are you have gifts. We need doctors in this world. But let's like be able to discuss it. Yeah, you're definitely not perfect. You know? No one's perfect. Anyway, no so offense, Doc. <laughs> You're as close to it as possible (laughs) in my books. So he ended up in the ICU for two weeks after the surgery. It was a six-hour surgery. They took bone from his hip, and they put it on the neck, so he's got four screws in his neck. His head was like a crushed can, and that's what you saw in that picture. He had a halo placed 
Um, and they do these, like they have a floor. They have a traction device. This is after that surgery? Your head up. Right. He was on that for three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks. Is yeah. that it? That's it. That's Oh, that's just a halo. Is that him on the bed? Like there's there's one with yeah. the track like he lit there that's oh, yeah. you can show that to him, to him. Well, he wasn't allowed to move at all. He was, um, and he would and he actually smiled. I mean, he's a happy kid, you know. Um, the hardest thing about that was him not being able to really explain to him. You know, uh, he's a kid that truly lives in the present. He's like what humans desire to do is live in the present moment and not be in the past and it's not very be hard for some people, right? And I, and I make you know I make sometimes I'll say be like Besnick. He's persistent. He lives in the moment. You know, but at the same time, that can that can feel like forever, right? So that was one of the hardest things for us as a parent was to not be able to explain that this will end. You're going to get past this, and you'll get you know you'll get stronger. Um, so he ended up in the ICU with acute respiratory failure, both lungs. After that, um, due to a fluid shift during surgery, and um, you know, I saw him turn blue. I saw his sats drop, and. It was crazy. It was you thought you were gonna lose him. Well, yeah. You don't. You don't know. No, and don't. I knew that. Like my faith. This is where my faith kicked in. Like I remember sitting outside of Boston Children's, you know, and I had a coffee cup in my hand, and I was thanking God just for that coffee cup because that's sometimes how simple it has to be. That's what gets you through tough times like that is gratitude. You know, there were parents walking out without their children. So I said, God, I, I, I envisioned myself leaving the hospital with him, like, the whole time. So I just knew he'd be okay. I knew he'd be okay. I crashed right after his surgery. I couldn't leave the hotel room. For two days, I couldn't walk. We had been there about four four weeks at the time. And I, I got so sick. And, uh, I, and my husband was like, stay away from him. So two days I slept. I couldn't move. I was shot, you know. And that happens sometimes when you're just going. Go like you said, you, you crash. You have to sometimes. So bringing this now to my mom, it was three months of recovery. Uh, we get back to New York. We go to one of the rehabs. It was horrible. End up in the ER in New York that night after f six weeks of no problems. Kid ends up choking on a piece of tape. And he's in this halo, and he's stiff right now. I'm trying to push him. I don't know what's going on. We literally just fell asleep next to each other, and he starts shaking. And he must have chewed off a piece of tape from his G-tube, the, the extension. And I didn't know. And so we didn't know he was choking. So Damn. he chokes on a piece of tape in this halo. Now he's got wool and the skin breakdown and the, I mean, he went through hell. He like went through hell. The, the you know, on his, he's very thin skin. So he bruises easily. He cuts easily. He bleeds a lot. Um, we end up in the ER at Westchester Medical right there. And I pulled, we, me and my husband ended up pulling him out. They, they were standing there. They didn't know how to give me suction. I, I had to tell the nurses, give me suction. And they were like, what do we do? What do I'm like, are you guys kidding me? Suction the airway. That's a Give basic me suction. Thing. Yeah. Um, and he ended up throwing up the piece of tape. But I was like, how do you guys not know how to handle this? Like, I don't feel safe here. I'd rather go home. Me and my husband can take better care of him than you guys can. And my friend, my friend was a PT. So she came over to help rehabilitate him at our house. So, you know, you just make happen. So anyway, three weeks, uh, three months. He's doing better. He's fine. May comes around, it's his birthday, um, June, May May 27th, my mom is traveling overseas, she's in Kosovo at the time, and she has a massive hemorrhagic stroke, oh so we just went through like two years of opinion, second opinion, surgery, all this stuff, she, she and my dad flew in from, they were on vacation, they flew to Boston, and they came to be with us during the surgery, I'll never forget that, he was mad at me, my mom sat with him in the ICU, 
pretty much the whole time. And my dad took me out to get some drinks, <laughs> you know, like they were awesome, awesome. And, and then she got sick. And then it was 14 months of that. So I definitely feel like it's just been like boom, boom, boom. It boom, hasn't, boom. Yeah, it doesn't stop. And I'm like, all right, well, you know what? This is life. Okay. This is, this is where you, when you go through that, you have a choice, right? Victim, victor, victim, victor. And being a victim, it, it does not. Sucks. It sucks. Well, no, yeah. you know, being a victim, you know, people fall into that victim mentality. Mm-hmm. And the reason they can't get one of the reasons they can't get out of it is because it has its perks. You know, I mean, if you're a victim all your life, people will never really expect you to take accountability for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll always have sympathy. Even an excuse. Wrong. You'll always have an excuse. I mean, people fall into this sort of victim trap, you know. You find the common with a lot of the patients you handle? Absolutely. It's a sort of learned helplessness. Like a crutch that you just never want to let go of, basically? Yeah. How do you get someone back from that, then? Well, I think a really good thing to do would be listening to a story like this. You know, I mean, I used to complain about my feet being sore walking the rounds, you know, in the hospital, and then one of my patients came in with no feet. So, you know, it really puts things in perspective when you hear a story like this, you know. Makes what do you think about my cousin, Doc? Amazing, huh? Indeed, yeah. Story's not over. So you now lose what one of the days I'm not looking forward to, right? It's that nightmare that we all have. You get that phone call or whatever it is. You've been through it with your brother. You have a child who has a lot of, he needs a lot of help. <clears throat> now you lose your mom. Mm-hmm. What's going through your mind? At this point, you're just like, all right, life, what else you got left, right? Like, You know, I built up a tolerance to, like, remaining calm during, you know, uh, sudden situations that require immediate attention, like medical attention. Like, I built up that tolerance, and I've kind of, like, it's gotten less (laughs) in a way, you know. You don't react as much. Uh, Physically, I feel it, but I'm still able to mentally keep it together. process. Crazy, right? It's like I can... Met, like you had some time with mom, though, right? You knew? Yeah. Kind of it was heading in that direction? Well Did you have any talks? Was she saying, listen, daughter, am I not... I mean, what? I'm not trying to go too deep into no, your listen, personal life, No, I'm an open book. Go ahead. What were some of those conversations like? Did she know she was dying? No. She... W- she looked Towards the end, I'm saying, did she know? No, because it was sudden. So she ended up having two very rare diseases. She had uh, APLS, if you're familiar with it, antiphospholipid, antiphospholipid syndrome, syndrome, which is not entirely rare. Yeah, um, but then she also had cerebral amyloid angiopathy, cerebral wow. CAA. So she had a bleeding and a clotting disorder. Wow. And that's like the worst. So but With antiphospholipid syndrome, I'm surprised she was able to get pregnant. Usually people can't get pregnant. I don't think it shows up till later on in life. I think it's like 50 and older. And it's not even genetic. Like, we all went and got tested, and, like, none of us have. But it can just show up. And it, I think some of the precursors are, like, high cholesterol, you know, being, you know, you don't take care of your body, inflammation, all the things that lead up to other diseases, right? But there is no precursor to that or the CAA. It's like CAA is similar to Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, yeah, because it's mm-hmm. a neurofibrillatory plaques. Yeah, and there's no Tangles. cure for it. Right. So so she had a bleeding and a clotting disorder. And it was sudden. Like, her stroke was sudden. And she had massive, she had two bleeds, but the right right side of the brain was more like a massive bleed. 
and she was in the coma in a coma for three weeks overseas mind you right and i've never left all my children but i flew out there my husband said go you know he held so it she down. was back in the motherland when she was happened. in kosovo when this happened there was no way to get her back not right away wouldn't have made a difference anyway no i no i don't think so you know you go through that you go through that if it didn't happen those hospitals over there i'm sorry well she didn't stay in kosovo they're she terrifying she got transferred to albania not, not that much better well it, they were actually they were actually excellent to be honest. Which one? Um, the hospital number three, American Hospital number three. Yeah, I didn't go to that one. And she got taken care of by the n- a neurosurgeon, Doctor Petrella, and he yeah, was amazing. That's the guy. He's that like one of the top. Yeah, 10. he operated on my uncle. He he's the reason he lives in the. I mean, God first. Mm-hmm. That guy's the reason my uncle lives an extra three years. Yeah, I've been to the hospital. I mean, come on, again, compared to the U.S. though. I know. Not even close. No, but she wasn't. It wasn't safe for her to be to travel. Yeah, she was in a coma. It's amazing that we have that common thing because that's my uncle had uh, brain cancer. Oh wow! The doctor operated on him, brought him another three years. He just passed away about a year ago. Yeah, my dad's brother. Sorry. And I was actually in uh, in Albania at that time for something different, Mm. and I got to see him one last time. Thank God I was there. It's very weird. I got to see him the night right before he died and say goodbye to him. At that hospital. Wow. He died in that hospital. Yeah, wow. But they bought him three years. So I agree. Sometimes the doctor can be amazing. But yeah. the facilities they have. No, listen, you walked in. It's one big ICU room. You're wearing the same gown in and out. Um, you know, we had to fight with them to get her out of the mess. She's like, they first of all, they make you completely, you're undressed. And she's in the middle of men. And we were like, oh, my God, if she knew this, she would have a heart attack. She was like one of the most reserved, classy, like, you know, women. Doc, you got to see somebody's hospital. It, it was crazy. But they all, they honestly, they were awesome. Awesome doctors. And we got used to each other. And I mean, all you have to do is flash a picture of Bill Clinton with your dad. And they would have been like, <laughs> oh, my God. Bring everything we have. <laughs> everything. Take care of it. They would have been terrified and yeah. happy because they respect him. I mean, so the guy's got a statue over there. Yes. In Kosovo. I have, I have, a, pic- I have a picture I've of told it, Doc, really? the Albanian people yeah. have statues of American presidents. Wow. Yeah. You clearly didn't listen to episode, what was it, Al, two or three? Yeah, give uh, Dr. Mike his pink slip. He's fired. That's what he's done. <laughs> he's slack. Uh, no, they do. They have him in the middle of, like, Pristina. Yeah, yeah. I could pull it up, actually, over here. I, I, I took a picture of it. It was great. So carry on with what, so now. So three weeks in. Did she you had some time to, to, to make peace with her or what? Yeah. We brought her back to the States. My dad did. You know, you had to charter a plane for that. So we brought her back to the States when it was safe to fly her back. She was left side deficient. She had another two strokes after that. It was the third one uh, and a couple seizures. And she wanted to – She we had a great time with her, but she was depressed. She never wanted to be in anyone else's hands. I mean, this was the woman. She was, like, one of the first Albanian women to ever get their driver's license. Um and she took care of everybody. She drove everyone's kids. We lived in a house of 20 when we first, you know, moved here. And the whole family was together. And she was the one that did the grocery shop. She was the head honcho, the cooking and, like, all that. So, yeah, we had time with her. And we had a good time because her filter was gone. So, you know, this is someone who never cursed or anything. And, I mean, she was funny as. <coughs> did you ever say. see that statue in real life? That is that the one in Pristina? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, Doc, look. It's Bill Clinton. I mean, listen, New York's got the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> we have New York plates. My dad I had a cousin <laughs> that wanted to rent that cafe there. Uh-huh. I'm not going to tell you what he wanted to name the cafe. Okay. It might offend your friends. Okay. What friends? Them. Oh. 
Okay. It, it was actually a brilliant marketing idea. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it off the air. Okay. But in any event, so. So, yeah, we had time. You had, you had, had time. time. Can mm-hmm. you kind of give us just a little bit what that conversation was like? Seriously. I find it to be important. Not all uh, of it, but just bits and pieces of it. Her wanting to leave? Her wanting to be. No, I'm saying, what was she, how was she, how was she trying to prepare you and your siblings for her being, she, what, you're saying she didn't know she was going to die. No. Not even the final time. Like, I but remember. But was there ever like a, maybe if I don't make it, my daughter, this and that, this and that, did any of that ever happen? No. Did you I ever, don't think did you expect her to die? Uh, I knew she wouldn't live forever in that condition. There's just so much. You didn't know on. that it would happen when it did. Though. No. Okay. No, what we so thought it was since she, we thought since she made it through that, ma- she survived and, and Albania. Look, she she survived 14 hours in a tiny plane. And you know, f- and coming from Albania. Coming from Albania. Um, and how long was she there again? It was like 14 hours. Oh, there she yeah. was there for a month. Yeah. Yeah. You survived that, doc. You're in pretty good shape. I mean, shit. So we thought, yeah. But we started reading about the statistics on it and all of that, and you had like, you know, maybe w- if you make it through one year, maybe you have another three, three to four. If so, that. you already knew the time was limited. You knew. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It was hard seeing her like that. She suffered a lot. But, but you were you were much stronger this time around compared to everything else. Oh you've yeah, done. yeah, yeah. Like I handled the funeral. And, and what you advice know, you have to someone right now that just lost somebody they love? Maybe it's their first time dealing with that type of pain. What, what advice can you give them if they're listening to us? Mm. What, what would you say is the most important thing for them to remember right now when they hear you? And I want that from you too, Doc. Well, I think they're going to get through it. Like you're going to get through it. It hurts. You're going to have. You you can't get around that, but you will get through it, and and it's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you stronger, and it's going to put you in a position to help support somebody else that that also experiences maybe what you are. You know, I don't know about you during those three years you said where you were lost because I call it the three years of loss. My greatest regret now, knowing what I know now about life, is all the time that I lost after it happened. But there was no way at that time. Like I felt like I was drowning. Like there was no way out. Yeah, but let me ask you a question: How much? How much? How much can actually put you back in that in that place? How much could put me back into that? In that place. I don't know. God watch over. The kids. To me, that's like... That's something that could tip you over, but I think yeah. that... I think you become stronger with loss. That's what, what I'm trying to say to you. I think you become stronger, and I think you, like you said, you start realizing, man, this is life. This mm-hmm. is the reality. I'm going to die no matter what. I might as well go out fighting. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite poems, um, a co-worker of mine, Eric Marais, if you're listening to me, you son of a gun, mm-hmm. I told you I love you, was the poem uh, Rage... Against the Dying of the Light. I don't know if you've ever read that poem. I love that poem, Doc. If, if you want to say what's your favorite poem, that's my favorite poem. And it's by, uh, my brain is a little fried right now. Keats? Yeah. Um, uh, Henry, give me one second, please. Not Henry me. David Thoreau, is it? No. Uh, Rage. Rage Against the Dying of the Light, yeah. An amazing poem. I think you will, I think you will love it. Never heard it before. I don't. I don't think it's so. a great poem. It's about fighting. It's about the fighting fact to the that very all end. men are mortal. You know, men. We mean men. We mean humankind. Do not. I'm sorry. I said it wrong. Do not go gentle into that, that good night. night by Dylan Thomas. Dylan Thomas. Right. I think I've heard it. May I read a few lines? Sure. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. 
rage, rage against the dying of the light. The wise men at their end know dark is right because their words had forked no lightning. They do not go gentle into that good night. Basically, if you read the rest of it, it's about fighting to the end. Like uh, going into the night means going into your death, right? You're going to die one day, right? Am I analyzing this poem the right no, way? That's what I got out of it. And you're swinging, yeah. you're fighting, and you're, you're just... Right to the very end. To the very end. Rage. Rage against the dying of the light. Like you're going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. Go out freaking fighting, swinging. Do something. Be positive. You were given this gift. You know, you know what I think? And this is a weird thought that I've had, and maybe it kind of relates to all of this. You know what would be truly tragic is that if the way, like, the odds of you dying were so slim, you get my point? Like, like only one out of a billion people would die because something terrible, go, like, the majority of people would live forever. Mm-hmm. Then I could say death would be extremely tragic because it only happens to a very few. Mm-hmm. There's not a single person listening to this that's talking right now on it with me or anyone in the world that will ever, that's not going to die. Right. So the fact that we're all going to die, I think is what you call the great equalizer. Right? It balances it all. Mm-hmm. Some go before, some go sooner. I'm going to go. So it's not like I'm right behind you, literally. In the essence of time, in the essence of the universe, this life is a flash in a pan, literally. Someone goes in their 30s, someone goes in their 90s. Even that extra 50, 60 years is nothing in spectrum to the universe and to the and time and infinity and all that other stuff. So why not go out fighting? That's kind of how I pulled myself back to it with spirituality. Yeah. Um, psychologically, having good friends, good support, talking to people like well, Dr. Having Mike. support will definitely get you through it faster. Um, I did become antisocial mm-hmm. when I went through my loss, and cigar smoking brought me back. It was a very social structure. But I definitely think people should seek medical help if they're really not doing well. You know, talk to a, someone that's dealt with this type of stuff before because yeah. sometimes you can't do it on your own. Like I was saying, you know, it's good to be able to identify it too. You know, like normal bereavement, you know, has a different course and different features than major depression. You know, it kind of waxes and wanes. It comes and goes, comes in waves. You know, it can have hallucinatory phenomenon, but it doesn't have the same features of major depression that sort of not necessarily having that helplessness and hopelessness, suicidal ideations, things like that. You know, Did so that ever cross your mind, Val? What? To just give up? No. So somewhere I, I deep inside of you, there was always a voice saying, let me fight on. Yeah, I, I did not want to be in the pain anymore. And that's what probably contributed to my making a decision to do something about it and to start taking chances and to start, you know, doing things differently. I didn't want to just exist anymore. Who wants to live like that? It's horrible. No. It's so horrible. And I don't even just want to live. I want to thrive. Like, I'm in, a, I'm in the next stage of my life. So you lost mom, and you yeah. and Hillary also showed up to that. She did. She came This is from us. the funeral, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I only brought True these stories. pictures because Beck asked me to. Yeah, she doesn't show these pictures to anybody. But this is, <laughs> yeah. this is a very amazing story. I mean, six degrees of separation. You guys all know me. She's married to my cousin. You're three people away now. Six Degrees by Kevin Bacon. <laughs> but I always found that that to be extremely respectful. I mean, they came for your brother. They came for your mother. That's yeah. that's. F- Listen, these people are all over the place, right? Yeah. They can be one second Air Force 50 because he's not president anymore, like Air Force 30 or whatever it's called. Yeah. Boom, he's in another country on an engagement, but they found a way to pay respects to you. Shows the human side of them, yeah, absolutely. right? Which is very interesting mm-hmm. with all you you know people out there. Again, I'm staying neutral on this subject. 
I know how you all think. I am neutral on this topic. And so is my cousin. Now, my next question to you. We've kind of got an understanding of the stuff you've been through. Mm-hmm. At this point, are you really doing anything business-wise up until... I mean, when did the, when did the entrepreneur Val come out? Yeah, so I, I've always had a desire. Like, even when I was in the psych field, I was going back to get my psych NP license. I had a desire to open up my own private practice. And then... I, I mean, just th- having three kids. Yeah. And especially one I with special know. needs. Most okay. people right there give up on business. They're like, yeah, I'm no. done. One of us has got to do this full time. No, I had a desire to build something. I had a desire to to do something for me. You know, I think a lot of I think a lot of moms do have that. When did this start? When did the actual okay, that's it, I'm starting a business start? Uh well, I did get my real estate license. That was in two thousand and five, uh two thousand and eight. 2008, during the worst time I got my real estate license, right? During the economic... Yeah, and I got out of college about a couple years after, <laughs> so yeah, I know. During the economic crash, and then um, I got my first deal within two days, but, like, I... Then I had my son uh, shortly after that, and I was still trying to build that business. Like, I was like, no. Like, you know, people tell me, you're not a superwoman. I'm like, no, but, like, I could do this. There's Like, I'm just going to figure out how. You just have to figure out how, and the, and the truth is... You know, real estate is a lot like even network marketing. You're building based on a network. You must build a network. You must be out there. You must put your name out there. You must connect with people. Get, you know, let them get to know you, right? And um, so that's where it kind of started. But I kept hitting walls and walls because my son was in and out of the hospital. My brother, you know, he passed away. These are what we call the jabs because you got got knockout punches. But these are what we call little jabs. That's where it started. And then I got... I got I was working part time up until my brother passed away. I got laid off two months after he got after he passed away. And um and then I got introduced to the whole network marketing business um four a little over four years ago, right around the time where I was like, All right, I'm ready to go. Like I need to do something, like I need to build something and it sounded great. Um from the surface, it sounded great. I didn't really get educated on it, but I knew it was flexible. I knew it could work for myself. I knew that there was passive income residual income involved but and I had and I had three years in a different company and I made the switch to this company about a year ago so when you ask me when it started yeah like my desire to really build a business and be a business you know owner it started once I started to understand what that looked like and that happened in this company with this organization overcome nation so if I may yeah and I think it's kind of cool that the name kind of is your life yeah. Basically, right? Like, it, the name of their company is kind of like what this whole show is about right now, this episode. Well, it's our team name. It's not our company name. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, first and foremost, to clarify, so you tried a few different fields. You now end up in what they call multi-level marketing. Mm-hmm. Some people call them pyramid schemes. That's what they call them. Let's just call it what it is. Okay. There's a lot of people we that are skeptical. about that. No, we should, and yeah. I want to. I want to clarify a little bit. This is the business segment of it. So there's a lot of people that use that word. Uh, I've been approached by different organizations in the past, different individuals. There's memes online. I just saw one today, and I was I wanted to save it and give it to you. Actually, it said something like this. So I want to hear your response to this. Sure. The meme said, and memes are, for those of you that don't know, pictures that they put on the Internet where the picture could be of something that you know, but they write a caption or they put wording or a title on it to give the picture a different meaning. That's called a meme. The meme basically showed someone looking, like, confused, and it said, my life might be 
like not where I want it to be, but at least I don't, I'm not stuck inside of a pyramid scheme thinking I own my own business. That was exactly what the meme said. Mm -hmm. What's your response to something like that? Well, and why is there that negative connotation? Oh, for a lot of reasons. For the industry. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. While I absolutely love this industry and I'm proud to be a part of it, um, and we could talk about that, I also am a critic of it. And so there's a lot of reason, reasons, good reasons, why there's stigma around it. And, you know, a pyramid scheme by definition is when somebody does not have a product or a good for sale, and there are network marketing associations that regulate that. So we have product for sale in our company, and f therefore it's not a pyramid scheme. Pyramid, like they, the, there's a, an assumption that people, the only people that make money are the people at the top. And that sounds like corporate America to me. It doesn't sound like network marketing because actually one of the, uh, one of the most unique characteristics about network marketing is that it does not pay like a pyramid, meaning I can out earn all the people above me. So there's nothing capping my income. In corporate America, the CEO is the one that makes the most money. And then you have, you know, your your president, vice president, then you have your mid to upper level management, and then you have your employees at the bottom. Your sheep, your cattle. <laughs> exactly. That's what they are. Exactly. That's what they are, Doc. I was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I walked away from a pretty lucrative job because I got tired of it. The money didn't mean anything to me anymore because I was being treated like a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. So I left. My face and my honor meant more to me than the money. My pride. Psychologically, I couldn't. I had a, I had a breakdown. I couldn't handle it. We'll talk about that in the session. I want to talk about that. Now. No, <laughs> I, I walked away from. You know, I made three three fifty. Mm -hmm. That was just on that one job. Forget all my other stuff I do on this. I lost my mind. Yeah. Working sixty to eighty hour weeks, mm -hmm. unappreciated. I went the extra mile. I did things that were not in my job description. We performed at one hundred and fifty percent of budget. The proof was in the pudding. They didn't perform as well this year. If you're listening, I told you so. Some people are just not replaceable. <laughs> There's only one Beck lover. <laughs> but in any event, so I like some of the stuff you just said, actually. Because mm -hmm. you flipped it really quickly back to the corporate world, and you're right about that. Everything you just said there actually hit a nerve, personally. Mm -hmm. so, so how did you end up with this company? Why do you believe in this product? And if you don't mind maybe getting into it, have you started making money? Yeah. Honestly, don't lie to me. No, I'm not lying. Um, so that's the first question people ask. And I get approached all the time. I just want to make this very clear to you. Yeah. I don't know if they're from the same brand, but all types of different products. One of them was Monavia. One was this. One was coffee. Now it seems like every time a new product comes out, there's another multi-level marketing to offer it. Right, you're so throwing that's a lot at me right now because – Here's the misconception, and here's what people use to get people into the business. A lot of hype and a lot of manipulation and a lot of uh, ground floor opportunity. Get in now. Buy my product. There's only five spots left, and that's all BS. You have unlimited spots. What people don't realize is you need a lot more than a big network and, and, and influence to make it big or to build a long-term sustainable business. Um, most of the like some of the greatest products come out of network marketing companies you don't you can't build a business based on a great product alone 
That's not how it works. So what's missing from this industry and what 98% of the people out there are doing is that they are trying to sell people into it. They're trying to give them all this hype and this manipulation and telling them you're going to create get urgency. And yes, great. I mean, look, there is something to be said to timing and first mover's advantage, especially in a network marketing space. You do want to be the first one introducing your company, your product to people. That That's called first mover's advantage. That's a great place to be in. Um, I made the switch from one company to this company because I had a lot of customers, but I really sucked at talking to people. I had nothing to offer anybody. I didn't have... Uh, so what are you offering? I didn't have uh, financial education, the business acumen. What we're offering is people a chance to uh, solutions, whether you just want to get on the product and you want to feel good or feel better or feel healthier. You know, the company itself, um, you know, has solved a massive problem in the supplement industry, which is absorption. There's a great lack of absorption and assimilation. Mike, you leaving us? Yeah, I'm sorry. I've got to get a move. Dr. Mike's off to a, a holiday party. Yeah, we too bad. We, I was just about we to. We started a little late, Mike. It's okay. Oh, that's We cool. thank you for your... Anything you want to add before you leave? I, I wish I was, uh, you know, part of this lipid bilayer uh, conversation. I'm interested in liposomes. Well, you can catch it on the podcast yeah, if I'll you actually listen to it. Uh, <laughs> take some of your own medicine, you know? I'm so impressed by your resilience. Oh, thank you. I really admire that. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure sharing. meeting you. Thank you. For Doc. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming by. All right. Thanks for having me again. Well, we hope you keep coming. I will. I'll be back. This we're is coming for team, man. We're coming for Dr. Oz, man. <laughs> All right. We're going for Dr. Oz. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> All right. So I'm like squirrel brain sometimes. All right. What so are we, what are we offering? So, we're offering? so what I'm saying is, okay, so you, 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 you got into this industry. You've yeah. clarified what some of the perceptions are. Definitely mm -hmm. did that. And so what product are you offering? What what product line? What is it? Is it is it's it? It's a holistic health and wellness wellness nutraceutical line, and we have ten products. Nine of them fall into their own separate billion dollar categories. So you have you know a multivitamin, something to fill your nutritional gaps. We have our V three, our energy, hydration, and mood drink. Um, that you know, I'm not going to get into the specifics of uh, ingredients here. We have a Vtox, which you know cleanses. So it's a lot of different stuff. Here. Yeah. I thought I, for some reason I thought CBD is what you were. CBD is kind of the one thing that I maybe speak more about in terms of social media because one of the things that's a huge turnoff about this industry is the infomercial that you see on social media of your friends and family posting about product all day long, and people want to buy, but they definitely don't want to be sold. Now, CBD is a whole other, you know, animal. it's a whole other animal. So it's it's what you, you call you a you boom you product. You, you do more than one product from what I'm seeing here. Yeah. We have. And is it all in the one company? This is all Viseo. This is all Viseo. Do you have CBD here? Yeah, it's right here. That's CBD. And ours uh, differs, you know, f look, all of our products differ from pretty much everything else on the market because of our technology and the way we deliver it. You know, most products, supplements, they're not highly absorbed or assimilated. And we use what's called the liposome delivery technology. And so liposomes are 100% absorbed. But they're... So a lot of time, like, like they say vitamins you're taking, they just come out right in your stool. Yes. Because they're not absorbed. Or, or your urine. How, or how, you get how, how common is that from, from your knowledge? I mean, I know you're not a doctor, but it how happens common? a lot. Like yes. you take these capsules, they feel like they're made out of plastic. They just come out in your stool. They were never absorbed. Well, this is what's landed us on the top 50 healthcare lists globally is the fact that we've solved that problem. 
because you don't absorb them. They're only about 15 to 20% absorbable. And we have given you now 90 to 100% absorption rates. And there's no additives. There's no fillers. It's all clean, organic, uh, non-GMO, dairy-free, gluten-free, except for, you know, our omega capsule and our eternal, which is this because there's, you know, fish in it. So someone who is... Uh, vegan. Yeah, wouldn't take that. They're all vegan except for those two things. Yeah. But the difference between, like, you hear things about CBD, and I don't know if you want to get into that right now. I was kind of having fun talking about network marketing. <laughs> but you well, I just wanted to say, what, you, what, you, what do you, what what do you offer? Look, what we offer is an ability for people to build a big business. If you understand the cash flow quadrant, if you follow Robert Kiyosaki, who, ha- who hap- he's the author of the number one uh, personal fin- finance book of all time, um, Robert Kiyosaki. He mentored my mentor, Rick Gutman, who started Overcome Nation because he's, a, he's made millions in the industry. He's one of the top earners in the world. He's been in the industry for 15 years, but he's also made millions in other industries like real estate, land, subdivision, and sales, the diamond and gemstone industry. And he says, along with my other mentor, Frank, who owns 22 other multi-million dollar companies, they both say that network marketing is the greatest form of wealth creation on the planet. And what you're doing in network marketing is you're building a big business. You're building a global distribution business. That's why I'm here. You're doing it, and it's not costing you anything. Your company assumes the liabilities. Your company assumes the risks. Your company sets up the compensation plan. Your company's doing payroll. They're taking care of all this stuff that traditional business owners take care of. And all we have to do is find good people, educate them about the opportunity, answer their questions. We use our products. We share some, teach people to do steps one and two. And if you're looking at the cash flow quadrant, you want to get back to working for an employee, for an employer, you either work for a system or you leverage a system. The wealthy leverage systems. Regular people, they work for the system. Get it? Yeah, they're cogs. Yeah. You're also taxed at the highest percentage. Our taxes are your single, write nothing off. single most biggest expense. Um, you are Your income is capped. Someone owns your time. You're training your time for money. And even as a realtor, realtors don't think they are, but they're on the left side of the quadrant. You have the E's and the and the S's, the these, you know, uh, the self-employed, and you have the employees. And on the big business side, which is where network marketing falls into it, if you build it right, you have more than 500 people in your organization. You're now considered a big business, but you also get the tax benefits. And right, this is all tax write-offs right here. I'm not a CPA. I'm not here to give tax advice. Yeah, always talk to your accountant. Yeah, always. Um, but when you're a 1099, a 1099 is much better than a W-2. And so most people work full-time jobs until, like you're asking me, am I making money? Yes, I make a paycheck every week. Um, I earned a free cruise. I went to the Bahamas. I saw your pictures. I verify. I vouch. (laughs) She went on a very nice cruise. I did. And that was, you know, and it's not like a major rank. It's just the fifth rank up. It takes people sometimes two years to get that or, you know, seven days. Like everybody builds differently. But there's a great misconception. You're going to come in here and you're just going to, some people need to build their network. They need to build their influence. They need to, you know, the wealthy look for and leverage networks. Other people, they look for jobs. You know, it's about your mindset. Do you know, uh, do you want to be wealthy or do you want to just be rich? You know, there's a difference. You know, it's profits over wages. Like, what do you want to do? Because there's plenty, you know, of benefits to that. I want time freedom. You can't have time freedom without having financial freedom. I want to own my time. I want options. I want choices. I don't want to waste my time. Do you know what I mean? And I have the best job. I get to meet all kinds of people. I get to hear their stories. I get to offer them solutions. Um, and by that, I mean they can either use the product just to feel better or they can, you know, you know, join us in business. 
have access to our free business school. We have a free online business school for our team. This is not a Viseo thing. This is our team. We have the largest team in North America. And we're solving the problem in the industry. We're giving people business acumen, financial literacy. We're teaching them about cash flow and how cash isn't king. It's cash flow that is king. About assets, about franchises, about, you know, all of that. And that's not something that you're taught in this industry. So it's a huge, it's making a huge impact because our retention rates are anywhere from 70 to 94% every week. Industry average retention rates are 2 to 10%. And you have to remember, this is a 140-year-old industry that people are mocking and laughing at because they really just don't understand. It's not their fault. Um, And it's kind of like how they laugh. And and I come from an industry Mm -hmm. that's, more abused than yours. Mm. The timeshare industry. The what? Timeshare. Okay. People make fun of timeshare salespeople more than I think than any other job that's out there. Oh. Timeshare, car salespeople, and I would say multi-level marketing's on that level now. Because mm-hmm. you just hear a lot of jokes about it. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I've seen a lot of memes about it. So yeah. I come from an industry, I had an amazing career mm-hmm. in that industry. But you had no time. But I had a lot more time than I would have in any other industry at that point. I'm not saying mm-hmm. maybe as much as what you're doing. Right. But I was only working a 20 to 30 hour week. Mm. And I was making well over six figures. Mm, okay. That's not bad. Right. But I had no weekends. Mm-hmm. I barely, you know. So, uh, listen, you don't control your time. Right. But as an entrepreneur, and I'm, I'm in that world now too, I have no time. Mm-hmm. So, there's a yin and yang to everything I say. Yeah. Not everyone's built to be an entrepreneur. Right. Definitely no. not. No. And I think in the beginning of it, see, people always want to see the successful entrepreneur, but they don't know what happened to them, what they went through how many sleepless nights they had, how many 20-hour days they put in yeah, to get to the point now where they control their own destiny, right? So I, I don't think we see the whole picture. Right. But there's definitely a sacrifice when you jump off that ledge. Yeah. There's no more security. It's just you. Either you, you, you succeed or you fail. There's no middle. Well, that's where mentors are important. That's where having someone that is where you want to be is important. See, I never had mentors in my life. Someone where I could look at and be like, wow, I want to be like that or I want that. I'm surrounded by these multimillionaires, the 1% of the world, but they're not just wealthy in the bank account. They're wealthy in the mind. You know, they don't teach to work for money. They teach you to work for time. They so you kind of feel like you stumbled into this industry in the sense that yeah, it gave you. totally. I didn't grow up saying. What can I do because I have these issues I got to take care of. Mm-hmm. I got my son I got to take care of. I got my two kids. I right. got a lot of things going on. What can I kind of squeeze into my life so I can still feel productive and like I'm doing something positive with my right. life? So you, how did you get introduced to it? Just by another person, another mother in the neighborhood. She's still involved? Well, she was a part of my previous company. I was with a skincare company before this one. And I got in like 10 years into the company. I knew nothing about what to look for in a network marketing company. If you're going to get into it, you really don't want to get into it at 10 years. And if you're going to get in, you better be able to go all out. Right. But you need somebody to teach you that. You know, there's no real systems in place. You need to have systems in place. So I, mean, I know somebody that drives a Mercedes he made from one of these. Right. It was a coffee multi. I forgot the name of it. He had gotten uh-huh. me to sign up for it briefly. My heart wasn't in it. Yeah. That's. I'm not saying I couldn't have made money. I know he's made money. Mm-hmm. I know he's so made a lot okay. of money. So here's the difference market. between the way that we're learning and we're teaching. If you're looking to just make money, you can definitely just make money in the industry. But that also leads to burnout, and it also leads to high, like... Uh, turnover. You, know, you lose the people that you... High that you turnover. It's a meat grinder. So we have, we've attracted other seven-figure earners into our company that did well for themselves, 
but really were hurting because they couldn't figure out how to get their teams to duplicate. So, I mean, what other industry in the world can you leverage other people's time, other people's money, and then teach them how to duplicate and build them as people and have this ex- exponential growth and, and expansion? You can't do that. You can't, you can't take yourself and duplicate yourself in any other industry in the world. You can't. And you also can't build passive income without buying or building a cash flowing asset. So you have to decide as a person, do you want to work for the rest of your life? Do you want to be the taxpayer? Do you want to be trading your time for money for the rest of your life? Or do you want to at some point, and and the security, like the whole job, they say job is security, but it's not. I'm not knocking jobs back. I'm just saying that have that plan B. There is no security because they can just walk in and fire you. Exactly. And it's not because you weren't good at your job. Exactly. I've seen it happen. Right. And I've yes. seen logic not be the norm in a corporate job. That's right. why I walked away. You know why I walked away from my corporate? To have put in the amount of work. And it wasn't just me. Mm-hmm. Five other managers, right? So five managers quit in three months. You think it's the managers? You think it's the organization? What right. would you, If you were guessing, uh, without I'd knowing the details. I'd say it's the organization. What are the odds that all five managers within a three-month window just, there's something yeah. definitely wrong with the organization? Absolutely. Not even the organization, the management in that location. Because the organization yeah. I worked for is amazing. Yeah. So for me, walking away from the corporate world was as simple as I killed myself. I built an office from scratch for a company I don't own. Mm -hmm. I hired the employees. I trained the employees. And I led them to, we sold over $35 million of product in 2018. Right. $35 million. Right. I made $350,000. Right. What did I really make? What did I make? And you got taxed on that. I got taxed on that. Mm -hmm. Um. The product I sold is repeat business for that company. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to do with I had no residual income off of it. None. Mm-hmm. Zero. Okay. So really thirty five million probably in the course of ten years is more like a hundred million. Because those customers keep coming back to that right. company, purchasing, buying more. Mm-hmm. I get nothing from that. Yep. They're paying maintenance fees. I got not a dollar off that. Okay. So now So th- so I understand what you're saying. <laughs> right. And I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. So I'm being devil's advocate in both ways. Sure. Now, I think where some people have some reservations about what you do mm-hmm. and what you recommend is they say, okay, if I go out there and I recruit all these other people to come and be a part of my team mm-hmm. or my organization, because you're supposed to get a VIG, mm-hmm. right? You're supposed to what? You're supposed to, I mean, if I bring someone in that sells millions of dollars, I get a piece of that because I brought that person into the game. Of course. My question is, how the hell do you know? How do you really know that you're getting a piece of everyone you brought? I know they say they give a number, they track it. Okay. So let's say I hire I hire Johnny. Mm-hmm. Then Johnny hires Jimmy and Jane. Then Jimmy and Jane go out and hire 10 more people and so on. So how do I really know I'm getting all the ripples from that first person? How do I really, how the hell can I really track that? Well, we have. Um, I know you have to have faith in who you're working for. Well, okay. So let's just talk about that for a second. That's a fair question. Yeah, let's, yeah, it is. I mean, it's all, it's, we have a, a website. We see our volume. We see what's coming into our business. And. That's where compensation plans and structure comes into it as well because most people's income is capped even in a network marketing uh, compensation plan. If you're like in a unilevel, they cap it at like the fifth or the seventh generation. And so you're only making money off of those people or a a percentage of that. And people hate that too, right? It's like, oh, you're making money off people. You're making money off of helping them make money. So you make a percentage from the company, not off of their paycheck. So everybody wins here, right? Now, uh, what I'm involved with, and I was a part of a unilevel, you're building separate teams, there's no unity, um, whatever, so you don't know what exactly, who's coming, who's staying. It's very hard to build in a unilevel. 
I'm a part of a binary compensation plan. It's a non-flushing binary compensation plan with unilevel check match and dynamic compression built in. So I get paid off of all the volume that I contribute to or my people contribute Any to. Any seeds you planted, you get a, you get a piece I of I get a piece of that. We get life. paid nine ways. And for a limited time, you get an additional 2% global profit share on top of the 3%. And you don't hear that for founders, for people that are brand partners. Usually they don't pay you that until you're like up at a high level rank. So our founders pay out our founders pay out 67%. It's the highest payout in any company that we're aware of um, in the industry. And my founder, Dallin Larson and his wife Carrie Larson, they've built two other billion dollar companies. So they did Monavi and they were part of USANA. They took it to the billion dollar stat- status. So they say success leaves clues. It's it's an indicator of where you're headed. You know what I mean? And he's the Are those companies still around? Yes, they are. They're still functioning. Monavi is under a different title. He ended up selling that company. He had grown so quickly. He had a billion in sales in three years. I see him everywhere. Yeah, he grew up. I saw their logos on cars. Yeah, and he. And I was he, approached I've to met sell him. For them. I mean, there's a picture in there with him. When we were on the cruise, he was there. He invited us back to his cabin. He talked to us about projections in the company and where we might be headed and asked for our feedback. I mean, we're, people who are involved in network marketing that might be listening, how many of you guys are sitting down with your founder? And, and having an honest conversation with them about your company and where you're headed. You know what I mean? Um, this is an industry that does $300 billion a year. It's the highest industry in revenue out of the NFL, the global movie industry. It knocks everything out of the park. Um, and people laugh at, like, Amway. Like, I heard somebody laugh at Amway. But they have the, they have the, big, the biggest fleet of jets than any other organization or company out there. My, one of my mentors was best friends with Dexter Yeager, who was making a million um, a week until he p- just passed away like last year, you know, and people were signing up just to learn from him. I feel like that's what we have here with Overcome Nation is the education component that's missing in the industry. You can't walk into this and say, oh, well, let me see how I'm going to do. Like, Beck, like, if you started all of this and we're like, let me just see how no, I'm going to do. No, you should be trained. I you agree. You can't. No, you should you be trained by someone that knows what they're doing. Look, look, hobbies take money out of your pocket. <laughs> Businesses put money in your pocket when you run them right. And people ask you how much you make. It's like, do you ask your doctor friend or your business owner, your small business owner, how much they make? Why don't you ask me how many hours do I put into it? Because if you worked an hour a day, what would you make if you worked an hour a day? Do you know what I'm saying? When you start in, out in network marketing, you should try to, s- you should contribute five to 10 hours. What you're trying to do is build your workflow. You want to be busier. Nobody's going to start out in this and put 40 hours into it. I mean, you're doing what? Very rarely does that happen. So, you know, it's a business. I can't do that on this show yet. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. You have to treat it as a business. If you're building an asset, right, and most people, it's like buying real estate, but most people don't have the money to put into real estate. But you can build and cash flow like in real estate without having that down payment. You do it through finding good people, through educating them, through supporting them, through, you know, plugging them into a system. We have a business school, and other people don't have that. So that's How often do you guys meet? Um, is, it, is it digital, like, uh, it's trainings? On, it's on Facebook. Two nights a week, he <coughs> trains, and then we have two other leaders training. How long have you been with them? A little over a year. How's it been going? Amazing. Honestly. I feel like I've had the most growth I've had in my entire life in this last year. Making some money or what? I'm making some money, yeah. Good. <laughs> She's going to show us her W-2s in two years. <laughs> 1099. 1099, no 1099. sorry, sorry, 1099. 
And um, listen, it takes time to, I, I started off at zero. You're building on various strengths. You have to understand as a business owner, you have to build that emotional strength, that, you know, time strength that, you know, you have to build your network. You have to um, build it. It's not just going to come to you. You have to find good people and help them out. What are those two, two, two big cans of? This is an anti-inflammatory turmeric, curcumin. Um, it's for joint health. You know, like if you're having difficulty, knees, golfers, things like that. You play sports, you work out. It's an anti-inflammatory. And they say, you know, most illnesses come from inflammation. So it's just a great everyday thing. If somebody wants to learn more, do you have a website? I have a website, yeah. What's your website? V Nazi, V N E Z. V like Victor, N like Nancy, E like Edward, Z like Zebra, A like Apple, J like Janet. Yep. Dot Viseo dot com. And Viseo spelt V like Victor, A like Apple, S like Sam, A like Apple, Y like Yellow, O. Dot com. Yep. And they should also check out our Overcome Nation website because that's more about the business. We'll school. put links up uh, yeah. on the video for anyone interested in learning about this a little bit more. We'll also put your contact information if you don't yeah. mind. Uh, listen, and I was a realtor for 12 years. My phone number is everywhere. <laughs> now, a lot of the friends and mentors you have, they're making yeah. well over six figures, yes? Oh, my mentors are multimillionaires. They're they're part of that 1% that I talk about. And how long my have they been in multi-level marketing? 15 years, 30 years, one of them 30 years, combined 50 years. But there's a mom who was barely making maybe a couple thousand a month. She just hit the millionaires club, two and a half years, single mom, paid off debt. She did it in two and a half years? Two and a half years. Never did this before. She did, she did was with the skincare company I was with before. And like what I was saying is she did barely maybe 2000 a month in it. She just hit the millionaires club being with this company and under overcome nation. And with that training, the business training, um, because when you have business language and acumen and all of that, are there any products besides this that you guys offer? Not yet, but we did just partner with Warren Buffett's company. So we're coming out with the skincare line. So they do <laughs> want to expand. Yeah. I mean, we're look, yes. Any way, we can, any way we can get Chia Beauty on here? What? Chia Beauty. Chia, uh, what's Chia? That dance. Oh, Chia, you're going to have to talk to him about that. I, I think it's an amazing product. It's great. It's made from the chia seed. Yeah, I know. I've spoken to him about it. Did he you try it? He was supposed to send me samples. Clinically proven. He, he was supposed to spe- send me samples. I got a sample. He should, I don't know. He should do something like you that. You got a sample? I'm going to have to talk to him about it. Well, that. have you been to his store? No. Go to the store. He'll He's give supposed to sample. mail it to me. <laughs> so, all right. That's some interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, Anything else we should know about you? I'm working on a patent. I think as a result of being a part of this organization, I've started taking chances, risks. You know, that that was a that was an investment. So I'm working on a patent inspired by my son. And we'll see what goes on with that. I think it's going to be great. I think uh, people got the gist of why I have you here. That you've been through a lot of different things in your life and you managed to forge through. I don't know if forge is even the right word. You fight through it. You stand up on your two feet. Start a business. Mm-hmm. You never gave up on life. No. What do you want to say to everyone out there that's listening? Let's close it out. Let's you, let you have the last words. Okay. I just want to say, you know, to really take a look at where you stand today. Are you happy? Are you truly living out your potential? Are you truly doing what sets your soul on fire? You know, are you chasing money? Are you working for time? You know, I would encourage people to stop, you know, holding money to this high regard and really learn how it works. I think everyone should be financially educated. It's not something I had. Um, And I think that you should get around the right people. Be careful who you allow to speak into your life. Everything has changed. How are you with energy? With what? 
people you let into your life? Uh, what happens if it's a family member that's just very negative? What do you recommend someone does? I just don't stay around them. I don't encourage. You just politely try to avoid them. I, I honestly, I don't have that problem. I I see people when I want to see them. No one comes to my door that I don't want to see. I don't. It's have not like the problem. old days, right? Where you kept a pound cake because nobody like nobody visits anymore. Right? No, I don't. It's have not like that. the old days when we no. were growing up. You had your Stelladoro yeah. <laughs> cookies and the thing you couldn't touch them because uh, or the devil's food cake. Company's <laughs> coming, Musafiri, Musafiri, as the Albanians would say. Yeah, I don't have that. Problem. Those days are kind of over. Yeah, it's weird. Yes, life's yeah. changed a lot in the last thirty years. It has, but it's not bad. I don't think it's no, bad. No, it's different. I mean, you, listen, it's kind of cool. You can hold a piece of plastic and see someone on the other side of the planet. Yeah. So there's pros and cons. I think as long as it's used to the uh, correct thing. So. Get the right mentors. Make sure you have the right people in your life speaking into your life. Watch what you're letting inside your ears and out your mouth. You have two ears, one mouth for a reason. Be careful with who you're letting. It's like Les Brown says, and I love him. Mm-hmm. Right? He's one of the greats. If you run around with losers, you will be yes. a loser because birds of a feather flock together. Um, I hope this story inspires others like it's inspired me. Uh, we wish you continued success, health, your, your your family first Thank and you. foremost. We wish you a flourishment in your business. Thank you. Uh, I think CBD is definitely, definitely people don't understand it, the greatness to it. There's a lot of FA, FDA stuff that still hasn't been proven yeah. yet. I've started using a little bit of it. And one of my really good friends actually owns a company. I tried, uh, you know, tried it a little bit, and I've noticed it helps me focus. Mm-hmm. It calms me down. Yeah. So there's definitely something to the CBD stuff. You have so anything you want to say about it? I do because it's uh, it's going. It, you know, Forbes projects it's going to be a 22 billion dollar market. Right? Just CBD itself. Just CBD itself. I think it's at about 500 million. I've spoken or to people right at now. my cigar lounge. Their kids suffer from certain illnesses. Yes. Okay. Yes. They give them CBD. They say like it calms them down. Yeah. Well, and I just want to explain. I mean, you we're not allowed. We d- we have no. We're not doctors. I'm just telling you what I've heard from other people. And I'm not telling you you should use CBD. Okay, mm. I'm not condoning that. I'm not a doctor. I'm telling you when I smoke it, I just feel really calm and like I feel focused, like I could write a book. Mm. Where a lot of times I'm very antsy and I can't just sit down and concentrate. I, ha- I really have a problem with that. Right, big problem. Well, you should take the neuro also because <laughs> that's your brain food. And a lot of parents give it to their kids for ADHD. And I just want to make clear too that we don't claim to, cl- you know. Cure, cure, treat, or things. prevent any diseases. These are, you know, products that are for support of maybe things that you're dealing with. Like they're not going to uh, hurt you, you know, but, but they might help you. Yeah, and everybody should know that CBD really comes from like industrial hemp. It comes, it doesn't come from the marijuana plant. There's two different plants that fall under the cannabis family. So people think they're going to get high off of CBD. No. That's not true. Not true. Um, the hemp family has like 0.3 percent or less THC in it. That's that psychoactive component. Um, but what we have is a broad spectrum CBD, which has 0.00 THC in it. So there is no THC in it. I give it to my almost 12 year old daughter to help her with anxiety and things like that. Have you uh, noticed the difference in her? I have. When she takes it? Yeah, I have. She's I mean, when you're, you know, when your doctor is suggesting that maybe she goes on, on Zoloft 10 milligrams. rather try that first. This is all approach. natural, right? It's planned to package. We have a patent on it. We are the first patented liposomal CBD product, US and globally, to come out. And so there's literally 
the the absorption rates so you hear pure cbd pure cbd and it's also great but the truth about pure cbd is it's only six to thirteen percent absorbed in the body and that means you're only getting so if you're seeing a thousand milligrams you're getting what is that like 160 yeah that's it out of that thousand milligram bottle so this is 360 milligrams you're getting close to 360 milligrams depending on your body out of this you're not getting just absorption but you're getting assimilation as well so you know, that's the difference between ours. It's our delivery technology. Um, it's the fact that we have a patent. It's very hard to get a patent. You know, you have to prove to a, a, a panel of PhD lawyers and doctors that your product does what it says it does and what's in it is actually in it. And so to have a patent on it with this type of technology is pretty phenomenal. Um, and it's also time release, plants package made in the USA, um, you know, organic, non-GMO, third-party lab tested, we have all of that. So you want to be really careful when you're picking up CBD. Don't just buy something for $20 and think it's going to work. My friend said the same thing the other, the other night <laughs> on the show. He yeah. owns his own company. Yeah. Very high-end brand. Mm-hmm. Um, what company is it? It's called Fresh. Okay. Fresh I CBD. It's it very, up. very high-end. Okay. Um, just the packaging on it is crazy. Yeah. But um, he said the same thing you're saying. There's a lot of like BS companies mm-hmm. with BS product. You look at this? Yeah. Just like, you know be very careful where you're buying it from. Like yeah. people going to gas station, like that's not the place you buy the stuff. Not at all. No. So, um, yeah. So to have just a, a, you know, a piece of that, a sliver of that market is it's phenomenal. And, you know, to be able to just leverage it, like someone else is taking care of the production and all the testing and the ingredients and all that is great. Um, so yeah, just be careful with it. You know, full spectrum, you can fail a drug test because there's, you know, 0.3% THC in that. Uh, we have police, people in the police force, retired officers, things like that, the active military. We have a whole bunch of military uh, men. So you guys actually pride your fact that there's no THC. There's zero, no THC. So they yet. won't fail a drug test. They will not. And okay. they, and we have have uh, people that put it to the test. We have police Now you officers. only have it in liquid form. You don't have it in smoking form? No. Smoking form, you absorb about 30 to 40% of it. Um and we just, we're not, you know, we're a holistic health yeah. and wellness so company. It's we the, just yeah, don't you don't want to destroy people's lungs. <laughs> yeah. And then we have the cream, which is freaking phenomenal. So if you have any aches or pains, if you have anything going on with you, you should try it out. Um, uh, I was hit in a car accident about two weeks ago. Three were weeks you? ago. Bad. You okay? I'm all right. Wow. Right from the back. I was stopped in traffic. Uh-huh. Someone just slammed right to the back of me. My neck is kind of killing me. Put it on. Put it on and tell us, you know, how you feel. I don't want to open a new bottle. No, open it. I it's a tester. Put put it on. Because I walked in. Uh, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but I walked in the other day. Uh, an 80 year old woman had five fused discs vertebrae, and she couldn't bend. And um, I no. said, you know what? Try this out. Don't touch your eye. As long as there's no propylene glycol, because I'm allergic to that. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't see it. Can you see that? Because I can't read that. Barely. <laughs> Feels a little bit like Tiger Bomb. Yeah. A little bit, which I like. So I like it's that. medicinal, though, because so a lot of these, like, Bengays, things like that, they don't really get into the muscle and relieve it. You know what I mean? Just got to be careful because I unfortunately have a, a, an allergy to one of the most commonly used yeah, well, you in cosmetics, that which is, it's it all right. I'll have a little bit of a rash. <laughs> at least as long, as long as it's not my face. It feels really good. Tingly. Yeah, it does. It's got like a, it feels like Tiger Bombish if you've ever put the Tiger Bomb on. It does. So, so yeah, so it's so basically another lesson here: is sell a product you believe in. Mm-hmm. I, I I can attest to that. 
people that failed when I sell time shows are very hard product to sell. Mm, I, I can know. bet. It's you're paying people to come listen to you. Right? You're literally paying them to come listen to you. Yeah. So that should tell you. And they're already coming with a mindset that I don't want to hear what this person has to say. I don't want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. I just want to get the gift that they promised me and I want to get the hell out of you. Mm. So to be able to close two to three out of ten of those people, you know what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. But if you don't believe in that product, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be a closer. Yeah. I think uh, unless you believe in what you're selling, I don't care what business you're in, you're not going to succeed. I think you believe in it. You also use it yourself. That's the difference. Yeah, I use all the products. I also really believe very much in the industry, but I also believe that you need to have the right training. Or, you know, if you're not going to have the right training or systems in place and you don't know what to look for, um, then you shouldn't get involved. I think you need to know what to look for. What's 2020 going to look like for you? Amazing. God's <laughs> Amazing. Um, you know, more experiences, more growth. I'm, I know I'm going to meet. Do you have an Instagram? I do. What is it? It's uh, VVAL. VVAL. At V-E-E-V-A-L. That's yeah. V like Victor, E-E like Edward. V like Victor, A like Apple, L. VVAL on Instagram. If you have any questions, you want to contact her, more about her personal stories, which she was very kind to, to open up to us about. Or if you want to contact her to learn more about how you can have a flexible schedule and make a passive income, you should definitely reach out to her. Um, I think this is a great place to close out. Sure. I think we'd definitely like to have you back in the future. Thank you. Hope you'll come back to the comeback team. I'd love that. Um, We would love to have you. And um, what we're going to do now, we're going to close this show out. And my little rant, she is a true story of how you can be hit over and over and over again and get back up. And if your year is not finishing the way you wish it would, if life has been pretty difficult up until this moment, it's time to start fighting back. It's time to do, as she said, to stop being the victim and to be the victor because you're not the only one going through it, I promise you. She's not the only person that's had to deal with the types of tragedy she's dealt with, but you have to make a decision in your life. There has to be that switch that goes on mm-hmm. where you say, I've had enough. I'm tired of it. I want to start living my life again. May 2020 be your year. Please stop making excuses. Please stop feeling sorry for yourself. Please stop letting other people feel sorry for you. Get up, fight, and take back your life. This is Beck Lover with my good friend and family member, Val. And you have watched another amazing episode of The Comeback Team. And I don't know why my sound effect went there, uh, Al, but... We are going to close out with the theme music that I always close out with. Special uh, thanks to Metro, who made the Quiet Storm song. Val, thank you. Thanks, Beck. Thanks for having me. May 2020 be the best year of your life and the beginning of an amazing decade. May all your dreams come true because you're going to die anyway, so go out fighting. This is your boy, Beck Lever. Just put your hands up.